Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. I hope you've had a really good, positive week. Here in the UK, it is half term at the moment. And so we've been balancing work and trying to entertain two bored kids. Um, our youngest is still recovering from chicken pox and the weather has been awful. So there's only so many soft play areas you can go to. And my only saving grace is that at least I'll be back at school next week. For me this week, uh, I have had a couple of Zoom calls with family businesses that have listened to the show and have got in touch. What this shows is that technology today means that, assuming we can get time zones sorted and and aligned, I'm happy to jump on a call and help as and when I can. What we've been talking about over the course of this series may well be new to you as a family, and it can be really difficult to know where and how to start if this is the first time that you've come across these types of um, governance tools and forums. So if I can assist with that, I'd love to just get in touch. Um, You can email me at russ at the fbc.co.uk or find me on LinkedIn. I'm Russ Hayworth on there or Twitter at Russ Hayworth on there as well. And as I say, I'm happy to help in any way I can with you getting started with this stuff. As I've mentioned over the course of this series on governance, we have looked at what governance is, the differences between family governance and business governance. And then throughout most of this series, we've actually focused primarily on the family governance side of things. What's quite difficult, because this is a, a worldwide podcast, we've got listeners from all over the world, it's difficult to be very specific on certain legal jurisdictions. And so family governance, generally speaking, is applicable across the board so it makes that far easier to talk about than some of the very specific stuff that comes from local legal jurisdictions or whatever in your country I know in in America it's different in um, different states so in this week's show we are going to be looking at some of the legal elements that affect businesses here in the UK I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on it because I say for some of you it'll be entirely um, irrelevant But what we have done over recent weeks is looked at family boards, non-executive directors, the role that each of these can play in the functional operation of the business. Later on in the show, I am going to cover with you some governance principles from here in the UK that I think are really applicable to businesses all over the world. And then we're going to look at how that interacts with the family governance that we've been talking about as well. So a little bit more focus on the legal side of things, but not too much. I'm not a lawyer. I don't intend to become a lawyer. So I'm not going to be going into the sort of legal detail on the structures themselves. But what I can say is one of the accusations that is 
often thrown at family businesses is that there is this lack of formality when it comes to things like legal agreements between family members. So here in the UK, we have shareholders agreements and other sort of legal documents. And there's often a feeling as a family that the introduction of this type of document or agreement can mean that there is a lack of trust or that people are expecting things to go wrong and need a legal backup to help them out. The reality is things do go wrong. People do fall out. And despite the fact that you might be thinking that we don't need this stuff because we trust each other, we're the same um, family, we're, you know, we've never had a falling out or a disagreement. If and when it happens within your own business, you will be very grateful for the fact that you looked at implementing something that protects you as a shareholder. It protects your other shareholders. And having those discussions and getting those agreements in place at a time when things are rosy, rather than having to deal with the legal costs and uh, related issues when some dispute or conflict arises, I think you'll be very grateful for having a look at it before it's needed rather than um, after the event. So it's worth pointing out at this stage, what we've discussed already around the family governance is effectively all non-legally binding. So you can't rely on them from a legal perspective if things go wrong. There may well be a moral binding of the family charter, for example. But if things go wrong, you do need to protect yourselves as shareholders. It's probably in the best interest of the family. It's certainly in the best interest of the business. And so something like the UK version is a shareholders agreement is far more reliable if things do get tough and you do have a falling out and certainly a slightly more cost-effective outset than having to rely on um, a lawyer after the event. So a quick summary of what a shareholders agreement is. It is entered into by the shareholders in the business and it regulates the relationship between the shareholders, the management of the company, ownership of the shares and the protection of shareholders. So if you think of them as a kind of insurance policy if things go wrong, they are there to safeguard the shareholders of the business and provide you with that um, structure and mechanism to deal with things as and when they go wrong. So they would typically cover the processes that would be followed should there be disagreements, if there is a deadlock on voting between shareholders, how to deal with that. And they can include things like dividend policy, which would have been discussed at family level. If you put a family charter in place, you might have included that within those discussions. They can be formalised within the shareholders agreement. So again, being UK specific, a shareholders agreement would normally coexist alongside the business's articles of association. The articles of association, again, are legally enforceable and are effectively a contract between the company and its members and between the members themselves. So it's kind of like a rule book for your business. It outlines the rules and restrictions relating to the way the company is governed, operated and owned. Articles of associations are a public document filed at company's house and can normally only be amended if 75% of the shareholding agree. Now, because they're public documents, you might not necessarily want to have your dividend policy within your articles of association. The shareholders agreement isn't a public document, so you would probably want stuff like that within there. 
Likewise, you wouldn't necessarily want details of who can own shares in the business because it might lead to some difficult conversations if certain family members from different branches or, or wherever find these articles online, read them and go, hang on a minute, I didn't know that was the case. However, again, a shareholders agreement can cover that kind of stuff. And very specifically, the discussions that we've had around family governance already would help to alleviate any potential issues that can arise from people reading stuff they're not expecting um, in the articles. So that's really all I'm going to cover on the specifics of articles of association and shareholders agreements here in the UK. What I'm going to move on to discuss, I think, is far more relevant. But if you want to find out more about the actual specifics of how these legal documents work, what I would suggest is that you speak to your lawyer. If you don't have one, I would get one and speak to them about how these documents might be relevant for your own circumstances. But before doing so, have a listen to the rest of this episode, because I'm going to be talking about how the legal side of things can be guided and informed by the family governance that we've already covered. So the first example of this is within the family charter. So within those discussions that you're having with your family as to the purpose and the values and the discussions you're having about who can join the family, uh, remuneration policy, that kind of thing, you can outline all of that within the family charter. And then certain elements of that, such as who can be considered for share ownership, a dividend policy again, that can be replicated within a shareholders agreement. So the shareholders agreement can formalise elements of the family charter that you consider to be important enough to be covered by a legally binding document. As with most things that we've spoken about in this series, the governance that is put in place for your business, whether that's the family governance or the more legally binding stuff, really needs to be tailored to your family, to your business and to your purpose. And this brings me on to something that we covered in episode one of the series, when we were looking at an overview of what governance is. And I mentioned in that uh, episode, the weights principles. These principles have been created as a set of best practice principles following extensive work by a coalition group. They apply on a mandatory basis for some larger businesses, but given that they are seen as best practice for larger business, I think it's worth spending a bit of time looking at these principles and how they might apply to your own business, and importantly, how you can incorporate and interact the family governance with these principles. There are six principles, and I will look at each one in turn. The first principle is purpose and leadership. And the headline for this principle is, an effective board develops and promotes the purpose of a company and ensures that its values, strategy, and culture align with that purpose. So if you change a couple of words in that headline to an effective business-owning family, develops and promotes the purpose of a company and ensures that their values, strategy, and culture align with that purpose, you can immediately see where having discussions with your family about the purpose of your business can have such a big impact throughout that business. This purpose can form the basis of the family charter. The purpose can be the North Star that guides your business and all those within it. 
And having that discussion with your family as to why the business exists can be hugely valuable. And it aligns really, really well with this first principle. Understanding the purpose of the business helps with the discussions around the values and culture that you want to exist within the business and what behaviour should be demonstrated by everybody in the business and within the family. It helps the board to create the strategy required to deliver what the family are looking for. So I think there's a huge amount of alignment between principle one and the discussions that we've been having around why your family business exists, what its purpose is, what values you want to be um, highlighted and, and being lived within that business. And that can be documented without having to follow these principles as a matter of rule. You, you can do that through the governance that you put in place. So principle two relates to the makeup of the board and states that effective board composition requires an effective chair and a balance of skills, background, experience and knowledge with individual directors having sufficient capacity to make a valuable contribution. The size of your board should be guided by the scale and complexity of the business. This echoes what we discussed in the episode about how to create a family business board. The intention of any form of governance must be to improve the chances of a business being successful. And if the purpose of your family business is to provide for future generations or to give back to your community, having an effective board that understands this gives you a far better chance of achieving these goals. Principle three stays with a focus on the board, but looks more at the accountability of that board. And this principle states, the board and individual directors should have a clear understanding of their accountability and responsibilities. The board's policies and procedures should support effective decision-making and independent challenge. So last week, again, we spoke about non-executive directors providing that independent challenge. In the episode on family business boards, we talked about not just bringing people onto the board because they happen to have a certain surname or a certain position within the family, but to bring those people on to be as effective and as impactful as possible for the greater good, for them to, to help you to achieve what you want to achieve with your business. If you've discussed as a family the purpose of your business, and you've introduced the right and relevant forums within your governance, you can cover this principle. A family council can be a fantastic conduit between the board and the family and provide a degree of accountability of the board to the wider family. Giving your board clear direction as to what you want to achieve as a business-owning family helps them to create the strategy that can deliver that. If that isn't the case, it can be discussed at family meetings and then fed back via the family council. So creating the right forums that give your board clear direction, but also accountability is obviously going to be a positive for the business. Principle four states a board should promote the long term sustainable success of the company by identifying opportunities to create and preserve value and establishing oversight for the identification and mitigation of risks. So this again can be driven from your family charter. Identifying opportunities to create and preserve value could easily be translated to creating opportunities for future generations, for example. 
being really clear on the purpose of the business and your attitudes towards things like ownership, employment opportunities and things like that will help drive the long-term sustainable success of your business. Principle five starts to look at remuneration and states, a board should promote executive remuneration structures aligned to the long-term sustainable success of a company, taking into account paying conditions elsewhere in the company. An equivalent statement within your family charter around remuneration and dividend policy and pay structures for family owners can help to ensure that there is this fairness within the family business. It can help avoid family members taking on roles of seniority just by virtue of their name and ensure that they are also given the best possible opportunity to succeed within the family business. So what I mean by that is if there's something within your family charter that states if a family member is to join the business, we want them to have a minimum level of qualification of X, or we want them to have five years external experience, or we want them to have a particular qualification in a particular area. Having those discussions within the family charter and having them present within that family charter means that you're giving your family members the best possible opportunity to succeed as and when they join the business, if that's in fact what they want to do. Finally, principle six, directors should foster effective stakeholder relationships aligned to the company's purpose. The board is responsible for overseeing meaningful engagement with stakeholders, including the workforce, and having regard to their views when taking decisions. Again, change the wording of that to the business owning family responsible for overseeing meaningful engagement with stakeholders, including the workforce and having regard to their views when taking decisions. And it's immediately applicable to every family business, irrespective of your size and complexity. So the point I'm trying to make when highlighting these principles is that whilst they are compulsory for some large businesses here in the UK, I believe that they are applicable and relevant to all family businesses, wherever you are around the world. Perhaps slightly amended and tailored to your own business and obviously embraced in the spirit of giving your business and your family the best opportunity to thrive. But the combination of these with your own drive and purpose as a family can help create a force for good. The principles have been specifically designed to be adopted by as many businesses as possible. And my view is that when these are combined with the right family governance structures, the right legal structures and agreements, and have the buy-in of your family through effective and meaningful discussion, your business will have a fantastic foundation from which to prosper. I will provide a link to these principles in the show notes so that you can read more about them if you wish. And as I've said already, if you want to discuss how to apply the family governance structures and forms that we've been discussing across these ser this series to your own family business, drop me an email. I will be more than happy to help. In next week's show, I will be providing a summary of the series. Um, it is the last episode in this series on governance. And I will also be having a, a bit of a rant, I guess, on a subject that I feel very strongly about, which is that of values. So we'll be covering that in a bit more detail. If you have found this episode useful, which I hope you have, please share it with your family members um, or anyone else you think would find it useful. And until next time, 
Take care. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.